Welcome to another episode of the Get Busy Building podcast. Today we have a very special guest and that guest is Jens Lapinski. Jens is founding partner and CEO at Angel Invest. And Angel Invest is Europe's most active angel fund. They make over 40 angel investments per year into European technology startups with an initial check size of 100K and they invest in pre-seed and seed rounds. Their portfolio includes names like Rasa, Everphone, Impala, UserCentrics, many, many very successful startups. Jens is also an advisory board member at Signals Venture Capital. He was a managing director at Techstars and basically set up the Berlin office. He was a partner at Forward Internet Group, setting up the UK's first startup studio, and the list goes on and on and on. It's definitely fair to say that Jens knows what he's talking about when he's talking about startups, and that's why I'm so happy to have him as a guest on the show and allowing me to really ask him all the things that I've wanted to ask VCs when I was fundraising back then. For example, how to design a market slide, how to think about unit economics at a stage where you have very limited data, how to actually reach out to him by email, LinkedIn, cold intro, and you know many other questions. I have no doubt that this will help some founder out there in the middle of fundraising. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Jens. Great to have you on the show. Happy that you're here. Thanks for taking the time. Happy to be here. Awesome. Jens, um, maybe in your own words, can you quickly describe what, what are you doing with Angel Invest, where you are founding partner and CEO at the moment? Sure. So Angel Invest is one of Europe's most active angel funds. We currently make about 50 investments or so per year. We invest 100,000 euros initially and then happy to write much larger checks later on. Once we invested, we coached the founders for about a year after the investment, helped them get to product market fit, and then raise more capital from good investors. Nowadays, people mainly associate you or, or think of you as an investor, but you actually have quite a large uh, history and quite a lot of experience as an operator and founder as well. And what I think would be super interesting would be to, to dive a little bit deeper into, into your transition from operator to investor? Because I think this it must have been pretty, uh, a pretty big shift. Can you tell us a little bit how, about how this happened and how this time has shaped or influenced your investing style today? Or maybe also the way you interact with founders today? So, so all this goes back quite a few years when I was running my own company. That was sort of like, we, we, we started that in 2007. There was a point, and I can't remember the exact year, 2009, 2010, where I just became deeply unhappy with the way in which I was running that company because there were so many things that I knew weren't working or I knew weren't right. And I was really, I just didn't know how to get them done. And I went to board members and I, I realized that sort of talking, you know, to a small number of board members is just not enough. You need more people around you who have done things before and know how to do certain things and you need to be able to ask them for advice. So I then went off and looked for mentors and then I learned more things. And then a couple of years later, I thought, okay, I've now understood some of those things and I see other founders struggling with the same thing. So I started mentoring CEOs. So I always had like two, three people that I mentored for about six months and we had regular exchanges and I, I just told them what I had just learned. 
and help them shortcut some of their problems or, or get to, to problems, uh, get to solutions faster. What then happened at around that time was that this investment style of accelerators came to Europe in the shape of John Bradford, who was at the time running um, an accelerator called Springboard, which then later turned into Techstars. And they said, oh, we're looking for mentors for these startups. Who is, you know, whom should we ask? And then they, they found all the people who are already mentoring startups, and I was one of them. So I went there and, you know, mentored the, the teams. And I just thought, this is just incredible. They have got like 100 mentors who come and help them for free. And that just blew my mind. And when I sat there at Demo Day, I watched that. And then I went up to John Bradford afterwards and said, John, this is incredible. How can I get your job? I want to do what you do. I think this is just so awesome. And then we talked about me joining Springboard. And in fact, John made me an offer, but I never joined. And instead, I, I left uh, my company a few years later to help set up the first startup studio in the UK. And then stayed in touch with Techstars, mentored there quite a bit. And then when I relocated to Germany, they made me an offer to join Techstars and run the Techstars Berlin program, which I then set up and set up the fund, was a managing director of the fund and so forth, right? So that's sort of the, the story. So it's, for me, it's not like a massive step change. It's been a super organic evolution, if you like, you know, from just being a founding CEO, struggling with problems, looking for mentors, mentoring, becoming involved with accelerators, and then you know the, this, this kind of very coaching hands-on investment style. How did you meet your mentees back then? Or, or how did they meet you? Because uh, that just sounds like a yeah, pretty valuable people. Who is good at this? Okay. Oh, yeah, I heard she is great okay. at this. Oh, I heard her, he's great at that, right? So, and Got then it. you just, hey, I'm a founder, I have a problem. Can you help me? I need to get this done. I don't know how. I'm looking for people who have done this before. Can you, can you give me some advice? The thing is, everybody who's been through the struggle, yeah is super happy to help other people who are struggling. This is sort of a, a tech stars. When I joined, they, one of the things that they interviewed me a lot and they were looking for empathy for founders. And um, it used to be one of the um, selection criteria for managing directors at Techstars. Wow. Yeah, it reminds me of, or it shows again, how offering help for free uh, sometimes pays off quite well. I mean, one example I can give, I just recently, a couple of months ago, posted on LinkedIn, hey, I mean, who needs fundraising advice? I've seen a few decks, I've seen a few models. I was part of some rounds. I'm happy to share experiences. And one founder that reached out, yeah, we got along, along quite well. And I ended up investing in his company. And one of the other investors now sent me new, new deals as well. So I think the second order effects of helping others that you didn't intend at all, but I, at the same time can be quite big. Anyway, yeah, really good points. All right, so you are now at AngelVest, you're, you're writing 100K checks, you have all this whole network. How can I, as a founder, get in touch with you and get an investment from you or be backed by you rather? And, and specifically, I mean, the, the initial outreach. Do you have any best practices on, or like advice on how to get in touch with, let's say, you specifically or super angels in general, be it via intros? Or if that's not possible, cold, what are some good things to keep in mind there when, when reaching out for an investment to you or, or people in your network, for example? I don't know how many other investors do it, right? So I'm just going to talk about yeah. how I think about it. And maybe you can extrapolate from that. But so look, I, I've looked at over 10,000 pitch decks in my life. So think about it like this. I'm very good at looking at pitch decks. 
so what happens is when somebody wants to reach out to me, they can just send me a short email, you know, the shorter, the better. Hey, Jens, I'm a founder, I'm raising, here's my deck, thanks. <laughs> right? Ideally, you say in which city you live or in which country, or they're like, like very brief, I'm raising a seat round, I live in Berlin or I live in London or I live in Helsinki or whatever. This is what we do in one sentence. We're raising this, um, I've attached our deck. Let me know whether you would like to talk. That's like the perfect cold approach to me because it helps me figure out whether you know, this actually makes sense for me to read the deck. I'll then scan the deck. That will take me maybe a minute or two. And then I either immediately pass, which happens a lot, or I say, okay, that's interesting, let's talk. And that's it. And when you scan the deck, how can I catch your attention there? Uh, or what do you look for? Do you, I mean, obviously market, team, but is there anything particular that, that stands out there or that I can use to catch your attention? I think there are three things that I'm looking for. The first one is, it's just, is this deck well-crafted? If the deck looks poor, if the design quality, if the whole way in which it's made is low quality, that's probably indicative that the work that that team is doing around software product or, or similar is probably also low quality. So you want to look at a high quality deck, ideally. You then want to have some real clarity of thought around what this team has figured out about their customers, what's the job to be done, what's the value proposition, how they're going to deliver that for the customers. Maybe they have early proof points around that it's already working and then description of the team, right? But that should be very crisp and clear. And then the third thing is, because I have looked at 10,000 plus decks, by now I just, I look for things that I haven't seen before, more than anything else. Because there's a lot of repetition in this whole market. You see ideas over and over and over again, and you know that they don't work. Or well, I know that they don't work. They've never worked. Mm -hmm. So then I just say, okay, that has never worked. Has this team figured out something, some insight that I haven't seen before? Because if they have, then it's like, hey, Maybe they have cracked it. Maybe it's worth looking into. It's like, mm, no, they haven't. or I can't see it. Well, probably not. And then I don't talk to them. Maybe particularly on a few aspects of, of the pitch deck, um, the market slide. I, I've seen a few founders struggle with that one, especially very early pre-seed, including myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious, how deep do you dig into the numbers there? Do you just go like, 80, 20, like, oh, okay, I totally get it. This is a huge market. Or do you, do you break it down, Tam, Sam, Som? Do you do like calculations there? Um, I find the whole Tam, Sam, Som thing. I just, I don't even know what these things mean to be frank. Yes. I mean, it's just like, I mean, okay, I do know what they mean. But look, there is a simple rule of thumb. So let's just say I'm doing a consumer product and it's a fintech company in Germany. Then I know, okay, Germany has got 82 million people of which maybe for, I don't know how many million, let's just say 10 million, this is an applicable product. So they're making whatever, 250 a year from that product per customer. So then you just take 10 million, you multiply by 250 and you know what the market size is. It's as simple as that. Because if you think about it, everything that goes beyond that, oh, we, uh, yeah, we're going to expand into different countries. Okay, that's going to be a huge step for a fintech company. Or we're going to have a different version of this product for different groups or whatever. You know, this is almost like a pivot. You really just want to understand what's the initial chunk of market that this company is targeting. And is that really big enough mm. you know, to build a big company? In? And that's it. 
And the answer is then either yes, is, is then either yes, okay, it's multi-billion, 10 billion plus ideally, or it's like, oh no, look, this is a 50 million market. This is super niche. -y. This is not gonna really be interesting for any professional investor. Or it's somehow borderline, right? It's around half a billion, billion. Then it really requires some imagination. Where else could this go? How big could this get? Maybe also on unit economics, because I think that's an interesting one. How should founder present or think about their unit economics in a pre-seed stage where maybe maybe it's even pre-MVP and they're there, they just actually just have the idea. So should this be part of the deck? Should there be some assumptions with proxies or, or what's your expectation there? And that's regarding unit economics in a deck if the team is just super, super early still. It depends on what they do, right? I mean, unit economics really only matter when you have significant costs of goods sold. Because otherwise, if it's a software company and they're selling a SaaS, they're selling their product in a SaaS model, unit economics, the gross margin is going to be 90% or something like that. So it's not really worth thinking about unit economics at that point. Yeah. So let's just say this really matters when you have a company with very low gross margins, really terrible gross margin, like any delivery business has got terrible gross margins, really mm. small, 10, 20%, whatever, something like that. Or even depending on how you calculate that, right? But if you calculate really all the costs of delivery and all of that in, the gross margins will be very low. And you know that with any of those kind of businesses, maintaining margins as you scale the company is incredibly important. But the reality is that nobody knows how to do that. And even the publicly listed companies <laughs> that are worth billions don't really know how to do that. <laughs> so it's, so, there it's, it's, so you either have great unit economics, in which case it doesn't really matter, or you just have an incredibly scalable model with shitty unit economics, in which case that you know, historically hasn't mattered either. What you don't want to be is a non, you know, hard to scale thing with bad unit economics. That's sort of something that VCs walk back. I'm doing a whole run through here of the, the founder, uh, founder journey, so to say, of uh, get, uh, being backed by you. So let's I, say I've sent you the deck, you liked it, we get along well, you invest, and I'm part of your portfolio. I, I've, I've checked your Twitter and, and you said that almost any successful company that you've backed is writing really good investor updates. And I'm curious, why do you think that is? And, and what can others maybe learn or what can founders learn from like the best investor updates that you've received? What, what learning can you share there? The point is this, it doesn't matter so much how it's written. It's just that you write one every month. That's it. Write one absolutely every month, even when things are terrible and everything is dark and nothing is working. Write one. It will become better over time. Invariably. So I tell you what, I've written 39 updates to my investors over the last four years. And the first 12 are terrible. <laughs> Then the next 12 are sort of a little better. Then the next 12 are a lot better. And the last 12 are actually much, much better. As with everything you do, you just become much better at it over time. It's, there's no more to it than that. The most important thing is to have the discipline to actually write them. When things are not going well, you don't want to talk about it. So you want to stop writing update emails. It is like a, like a law of nature. So when I don't get update emails from portfolio companies, I know something is wrong. Always. I, I've never found this not to be true. 
then now there are some portfolio companies who are writing update emails very, valid, very, very diligently where the company is struggling. But for example, yesterday I got one. Company is actually one of these middling cases where it could work, but it's a really difficult thing to get right. And they are struggling with it. But there is a good chance they're going to get this done. And then it could be a very, very large company. So they write the update email. Another investor replies and says, hey, I think you are not thinking about this correctly. Then I reply and say, I actually agree with this. Yes, and, and this is how I think about it. Now, so immediately, hopefully, that input has been helpful. But I'm, I'm quite certain because I, I believe it's, 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 it has been valid. So I, you know, I think this is helpful. You think about it. If you sit down once a month and you really have to you know, force yourself to really think about what you've been up to, it will improve the quality of your company. Do you ask for any specific things in these updates? I mean, I understand that 80% or maybe almost all, all of it is just the fact of, of just the process of writing it. But do you ask for maybe a section highlights, lowlights or specific sales numbers? Or do you say, hey guys, this is up to you. You design the report. And I maybe ask the question if I, if I need more info. Yeah, so. I've, I've given up a few years ago trying to get founders to do it in a certain way. Things that I like to see, and I'm sure every other investor likes to see, is how much cash is in the bank, cash in and cash out last month, and then the, the number one or two KPIs that this company has, the North Star metrics, ideally one North Star metric of the business. The good, the bad asks for help. That's it. And then there, there are some companies which include management reports. So like every, everybody who runs technology or marketing or, or some other department, actually their monthly report is copied in at the bottom. Then it becomes super detailed. I don't read that, but I like seeing it because I know it's there. You also mentioned that you, or, or maybe discussions emerge from these reports with other angels. And what I've heard from founders um, many times is that angels that they took on board weren't such a great fit after all. So that maybe that realization came from one of the two sides uh, a little bit later down the road. My question to you is, if I'm a first-time founder especially, or just founders in general, how can I pick and, and recognize good angels before the investment so that there's no bad awakening later when, uh, when everything's already said and done and, and the angel is on board, basically. How can I pick, the, pick good or recognize good angels or how can I recognize good, good fit with the angels that I, that I want to bring on board? I would think that in my mind, this is like a two by two matrix. You have people who are passive and you have people who are active. And then you have people who are inexperienced, let's just say, or sometimes it's even worse than that. And then you have experienced investors. And you want to get people who are experienced investors who, are, who actively help you, ideally. Or you want to have maybe experienced investors who do nothing. If somebody has written 10 or more checks into startups, you can then quickly check their reputation with other founders. It should be very easy. And you will either freak, most frequently it gets like, yeah, I don't know, I haven't interacted that much with them, but they're okay. They've helped me once or twice. Then you will have some very active people, most of whom are good actors because it's just 
nobody engages a lot with startups and is toxic. I mean, I don't know how that how that person would stay in the market for very long. It's very few. And then you have these 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 toxic people, but th that's a very very small number. And then you have the inexperienced investors, and most of the damage come from inexperienced investors who want to actively involve themselves. And the worst ones are the ones that come from different industries and have got no experience with technology startups because all of their reflexes are wrong. Let's first talk about what is, it, what is investing in a startup. Venture capital or, or angel investments is almost the definition of momentum investing. You want to invest in companies that grow extraordinarily rapidly and where the share price grows two, three, four, ten times or more per year. Now, most investors actually make money in a value investing environment, like real estate. And there, it's all about price. You want to buy cheap, and you want to leverage well, and you want to structure your finance as well, and your, your debt. All of that is incredibly important. You never want to lose a property. It's terrifying thought to lose a property. So therefore, they train themselves in certain ways to behave in this value investing world and all of those reflexes when you go into a momentum investing world are all completely wrong and then as soon as a company is struggling they try to involve themselves in the company do things they can't really help on the content side because they don't know how to build software or how to run marketing or anything like that and then when it comes to financing of the company and further rounds and all of those kind of aspects, they just don't understand why certain things should happen in certain ways versus not. And, and, and then all of their reflexes are wrong and then they cause a lot of problems. And then there are even some really terrible people who try to take over companies and kick the founders out and who are really malicious. But that, as I said, that's a very small number and they typically only do this a couple of times and then nobody takes their money again. Before we um, get to the final uh, part on, on coaching and how you coach founders, just one follow-up there. Are there any particular, thing, particular things that you think founders and investors should talk more about before the investment or that they are generally maybe overlooked because you're in this momentum, the round is closing, okay, well, let's make this happen. But maybe you don't think about downside scenarios. Maybe you aren't 100% aligned on the strategy, maybe on the hiring plan or whatever, product roadmap. Are there certain things that you think should be brought up more often in conversations between founders and investors before the actual first investment? Yeah, I think inexperienced investors try to involve themselves a lot with the startups that they back. And I think that's a significant mistake. Right? Because it's not their company. They don't work there full time. It's not, you know, they don't hold the flame in their hands. They give money and then their job is to help the founders. And they should go in there thinking this money is probably gone. It's a good idea to put it into your spreadsheet as a, I put 50,000 euros in and it's worth zero right now. That's, that's like, that, that's probably the correct initial assumption. And then everything that comes back on top of that is a positive surprise. What you get instead is people who involve themselves a lot. They want to have board meetings. They want to have update calls. And it's effectively not designed to help the founders run their company better, but it's designed to provide the angels with comfort that they've made a good investment. And that's utterly, utterly a total waste of time for the founders. And instead, what you want to have is very regular, tidy reporting. And then when the founders ask for help, 
you try to give it. And that's it. And if you really know what you're doing, you can then go in and try to involve yourself some more with the companies. But it's like, you know, it's, it's like being a race car mechanic. Why would you fiddle around with the race car if you haven't done that before? Why would you fiddle around with the insights of a startup if you haven't done that before? It's not a good idea. And, and this is where these things typically go wrong. People fit, try to fiddle around with things. And then when they realize this investment is going sideways, which will happen a lot, then they put an enormous amount of time and effort into trying to rescue their 25K, 50K or 100K. But maybe they've made 10 investments and one or two of them are going great, right? They should just invest a lot more money into those. They should spend a lot of time with those founders and make sure that this 10X investment turns into a 50X investment because that's where all of the profit will be. And all the ones that are not going well, you can try to help them and you should. But at the end of the day, it's, it's probably not a good allocation of time. You, you alluded to helping founders. And I know that's a very big topic for you. After you invest, you, you coach founders quite thoroughly. I think it's for one year post-investment and probably a lot more. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit more context there? Um, how do you support founders? I think because that's something pretty unique in the market. I hear from many, many founders that their investors are quite, I mean, passive yeah. in a way where they say, okay, they maybe would have expected a little bit more. So I think you're probably trying to circumvent that or by, by actively coaching. Why is it so important? Why is this coaching part so important? And, and how, how do you actually support the, your founders? How, what do they get from you in terms of coaching and support there? So what we do is we have regular calls um, typically every two weeks. So it always happens from, and, and I, I always do them on Fridays. It's half an hour. It's either a video call or a WhatsApp call or something like that. And the day before the founder sent me an email that says, hey, this is what we've been working on. This is what we want to talk about, right? So I'm briefed. I can pre-reflect a little bit um, in the evening and then next morning I'm ready. So what, what does this do? It sets up a regular cadence every two weeks it's like an update email that you can't avoid <laughs> but it's even more frequent and then you have to think about what the hell am i actually doing what are my current bottlenecks what are my problems and that by itself is incredibly useful and then you say hey i'm currently struggling with this i don't know how to get it done it takes me a long time i've got this problem i've got that problem how can i best make that go away and then my job is to just say, okay, well, this kind of problem, you may go away in this kind of way. And my job is not to tell the founders what the answers are. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I can only imagine how your Fridays look after 50 investments per year and a couple of years in the business. So I guess your Fridays are other people's Mondays. But, um, no, but it's, not that, it's not that bad. All the, the 50 <laughs> investments are made by, by a team by now. I make about 15 to 20. Because I coach teams for a year, they, they, they're sort of, there's, a, there's a cycling out phase. Right now I'm coaching 18 teams. So it's, that's actually okay. It's because after a little while, the cadence lengthens. So it goes to every four weeks. And the consequence of that is that I, I speak on average to... Uh, seven, eight teams, nine teams on Friday, something like that. And it's been very constant for, for many years now. Wow. That sounds super exciting. And um, yeah, how can people get in touch with you if they want to be part of the crew? How, how can they 
how can I be back to, how should I reach out to you the best way? LinkedIn works. Um, I tend to accept, although currently I'm like, I have got an enormous, so here's a good tip. There are certain weeks in the year where everybody runs off and starts fundraising. The third week and fourth week of January are such weeks. So rule number one is if you approach an investor in those weeks, it's quite possible you're not going to hear anything for weeks because they're completely backlogged with an enormous deluge of deals like me right now. <laughs> But um, outside of that, get intro, write me an email. It's jl at angelinvestoradventures uh, or, or ping me on LinkedIn or on, on Twitter and I'll, I'll try to respond. I try to honestly look at every deck that comes my way because that's really what I'm here to do. That's amazing, Jens. I still remember when we met um, at a conference from Signals, where you're an advisor, uh, you really took the time. I think you sat down for 45 minutes and talked to three of us. And then after the conference, again, another 50 minutes. So I can definitely uh, confirm that you're very thorough about engaging with everyone who reaches out. And, and thanks for that. And thanks for being on the show. It was extremely interesting, valuable, and definitely relevant for a lot of founders out there. Thanks for sharing all these insights. And yeah, hope to, hope to have you as a guest very soon again. Thanks, Ari. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was amazing. And if you like this content, it would be awesome if you could follow the podcast and leave a five-star review in your favorite podcast app so that other founders can more easily find this content and benefit as well. And to everyone who's thinking about starting a company, but doesn't yet know what or with whom they want to start, I might have the perfect setup for you. I have started a community called Founding Ideas. And in this community, I bring together experienced high performers who all want to start something new. Some of them are serial entrepreneurs who have scaled businesses and exited them. Some of them come from high-performing work environments like consulting and so on. Some of them are senior operators from top-tier startups who are thinking about their next move. And I bring them all together to ideate together, to work on their ventures together, and to learn from each other's experiences. And this has even led to a few successful ventures who have ended up raising from VCs like 468 Capital, Hustle Fund, GFC, and many, many, many more. It's been absolutely crazy and nuts to see the success of some of the people who have been part of this program. And I haven't even started making this thing big. So I really look forward to who else is going to join and what is going to come out of it. I hope one of these ventures will be started by you. Please reach out to me on ari at getbusybuilding.com to learn more or go to www.foundingideas.com. I look forward to seeing you there. See you soon.